From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 49. Today's show is brought to you by Hover, Simplified Domain Management, Stamps.com, Postage On Demand, and GoToMeeting, where you can make it easy to meet with your team wherever you need to, wherever you are. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. How you doing, sir? I'm pretty good. It's been a while. Yeah, welcome back from your little trip. Thank you. Uh, we we you know we recorded a little early, and now we're recording a little bit late. And in between, I uh, was gone for ten days, and we drove. So so far, we drove about two thousand miles, which, as Federico Vitici demanded a uh, translation, that's about uh, thirty-two hundred kilometers round trip. And uh, that's also point uh, zero one one light seconds for aliens out there listening. Mm-hmm. That so good to know. Uh, and uh, I actually wrote a little piece that we can link to in the show notes uh, about uh, navigating using Apple Maps. Um, that because I did use Apple Maps the whole way, uh, partially because Google Maps kind of doesn't work right on iOS nine. <laughs> My phone is running iOS nine. Um, uh, and I, I noticed some features that may be new features or slightly different features, certainly not features I noticed before. Um, and it, you know, that was, uh, it was useful in going down, we went down some country roads and back roads in, in uh, Northern California and Oregon and Washington. But we went all the way up to Seattle, north of, just, a, just north of Seattle, I think was our northernmost point, and then, uh, and then back down. So a lot, of, a lot of car time, a lot of car trip time. What's the bing bong sound? <laughs> so uh, somebody says that th- this actually happens in ios 8 when you're not in apple maps although we were in apple maps and we heard it for a while and then it went away which was as we approached uh the intersection when you need to turn my phone would just go bing bong if you needed to turn left and bong bing if you needed to turn right which i thought was really cool and less annoying than the voice um and uh, then it stopped binging and bonging and uh we never got that sound back. Couldn't figure out how to get that back. Didn't know why it was there. Perhaps it was a mistake. Uh, perhaps it was a bug. But uh, it was. I found it kind of pleasant to turn off the voice and still have a little sort of audible notification that we were about to turn. So that was that. Yeah, and there was there were a bunch of like uh, warning, heavy traffic ahead, alerts, and an offer to reroute, and the iOS nine contextual searches for things like you know restaurants or gas stations or whatever. Um, those are good. It sure beats the old method of sort of opening Apple Maps and typing restaurants and hoping for something, which was never, just never worked. Um, that was actually much better. Um, so that combined with Yelp helped us identify places to eat kind of along the way. Um, I did have, I, somebody said something snide on Twitter about, uh, well, you're lucky to be alive after you used Apple Maps for that long. And, you know, Without getting on too much of a rant, I'm I'm really getting tired of it. I, I um this this people just making jokes about Apple Maps. Apple Maps is bad in some places and good in other places. Um, but the 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 sense of like I've heard from some Waze users who really love it, and my father-in-law really loves it. I don't like it, but I I, I get from them I get this sort of like you know they're they're diehards. They love Waze. They they've integrated it into their lives. It's great. It doesn't work for me. I don't like Waze, but uh, that's fine. My fa- like I said, my father-in-law is kind of obsessed with it. Um, 
but it's especially the the people who are like, well, everybody knows Google Maps is great and Apple Maps is terrible, so you you know you should never use Apple Maps because it's it's terrible. Well, first off, guide data the the map data varies widely, and I've said all along that I live in the Bay Area. Apple actually did a very good job with the map data in the Bay Area because they live here, and I think that it's probably much. I've heard from people it's much much worse depending on where you are in the country and in the world. Um, that said, I was also driving back roads in in rural. Oregon and Washington, and uh, it worked just fine. I have also had Google Maps lead me wrong within a mile of the Google campus, like really wrong. So like driving into somebody's driveway and it thought it was a restaurant, kind of wrong. So, uh, you know, your map your map uh, quality may vary, but I, I will say I spent 2,000 miles basically with Apple Maps running, and it was uh, in iOS 9, and it was uh, pretty good. So, you know, your your mileage literally may vary. Let's do some follow-up. Yeah. So, uh, the first piece comes from Matt this week. Uh, Matt wrote in to say, uh, After listening to the latest episode of Upgrade, uh, I recommend that you guys read Hatching Twitter by Nick Bilton. It's got a lot of insiders. He got a lot of insiders to talk to him. Uh, and what Matt learned uh, was a lot about what happened uh, in the early days of hmm. Twitter that he did not know about um, and said that he actually came out of it respecting Ev a lot and without so much respect for Jack. Have you read this book? I haven't read it. No, I, I, it's been one of those things in my mind, especially recently as we've been talking about this stuff, uh, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. All right, we'll put it on the list. Yeah, I mean, you'd probably get through it quicker than I will. If you uh, say you're going to put I, it on, Cause, but, but uh, I have so many books. I have so many books to read. I bought that. I bought that. Uh, that uh, Apple book that people recommended about the kind of like when when Jobs was gone uh, time, and that's just sitting on a bookshelf. I have, I have so many books to read. Plus, I honestly I don't relish reading books about the computer industry, nonfiction books about the computer industry, because I feel like my book time is. I like my book time to be my entertainment time and not my reading this for work time. And I, you know, I read a lot of stuff on the web about computers and technology, but then to read books about the history of companies in the technology industry, it's, it's a lot harder for me to gin up enough enthusiasm to do that. Sure. No, I get that. I totally get that. But just me, us both saying we'll put it on our lists, like <laughs> even though my list has no books on it and your mm-hmm. list has a ton of books on it, you're more likely to get to it before I do, I think. Yeah, well, that's probably true, but that's okay. I might get an audio book, maybe. We'll see. Um, I'll, I'll think about it. Uh, right. We heard from a bunch of Tweetbot users and, uh, and uh, you know, oh, and yeah. other others. Another, well. So we talked about Twitter and we talked about the Twitter apps, um, you know, uh, and we got a nice note from listener Matt who said... Uh, different Matt. That different Matt. Matt 2. <laughs> Matt Beta. Um, he, so Matt 2 said he tried the iOS app from Twitter um, and was that said it was much better than he remembered it. But I also saw, like on my timeline today, I saw Andy Bayo uh, complaining about how uh, slow twi- the Twitter app was on his iPhone 5. Um, it, you know, it's a problematic app and somebody else in my Twitter timeline while I was on vacation, so I don't even have the name said that that, that team has like 70 developers or something, some ridiculous number of people developing the iOS app. And, um, maybe that's the problem <laughs> is that they, they, I, I, it baffles me how bad Twitter's apps are. And, and, uh, and we talked about it quite a bit. 
in in the last show. But uh, yeah, who knows? I, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe with all the changes, things will change. We we know um, that uh, uh, they just hired uh, the developer of what some consider the best Android iOS or Android Twitter app mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to presumably work on the Android Twitter app. But who knows? We saw what happened with Tweety. Uh, which was a great Mac Twitter app and iOS Twitter app. And yeah, died. Joaquim Verge, I'm going to say. Uh, mm-hmm. He is the developer of Falcon, which is by far and away the best Twitter app for Android and has been for a long time. Yeah, um, there you he's go. been hired, hired by away. That could be good news, but I fear with their track record, it's bad news that he'll yeah. disappear and uh, nothing will happen. And, uh, and then he, in six months or a year, he will leave being incredibly frustrated by the whatever is bogging down i don't know politics bad management bad you know lack of vision i don't know what's bogging it down um i also got a bunch of uh questions about uh why i think twitter for mac is bad and i don't the show isn't long enough for me to go into all the details (laughs) but i will say it crashes it gets super slow and sluggish a lot of the time it eats up disk space sometimes by saving just huge amounts of junk to a, a cache folder that doesn't need to be that huge um clicking on a tweet will um i I would say one time out of five will get you an action on the tweet above it or below it um because it's just lost track of what tweet that can be really (laughs) awkward when you're trying to favorite something for later or retweet something or you're clicking to see a thread about a particular tweet and you get a thread about a tweet that was near it um it doesn't support the muting feature that they added it doesn't support the quoted tweet format that they added um the list goes on it's bad and yet i use it because there are things in it that are great um and the reason that they're in they're great and it's the notifications tab is the reason i use it and the reason that it's only in that i use it and it's in there is because those aren't in the api for third parties to use so i i third parties cannot they can try to hack it but you know the the twitter app will show me when somebody favorites something when somebody retweets something there's a lot of detail about what's happening on Twitter to the stuff that I am writing that I don't see unless I'm using the Twitter app or Does the website. Does it do the like favorite a tweet you were mentioned in type stuff uh, as well as on the it- iOS app? doesn't do that that's right. one of the one of the many things that it doesn't yet do the quoted tweet thing kills me now because that's the official way you quote a tweet in twitter and it shows you the tweet that was quoted and twitterific on ios has it and it's just not in the mac app i'm not sure if people are paying attention to the mac app or not anyway it's bad using but- twitter for the mac sounds a lot like using tweetbot for ipad <laughs> yeah it, it's yeah yeah and and the th- and the thing is the the um I use Twitter on my Mac. I'm on I'm at my Mac a lot and I use Twitter on my Mac and there are no good options at this point. Twitter, the native Twitter app, the 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 platform app is the best of a bad lot right now. I don't like Tweetbot for Mac. Twitterific for Mac has not been updated in years. Uh, and I don't really want to use the Twitter website. I'm not a fan of being forced into a web browser in order to use a social network. That's why I don't use Facebook very much, is that I just don't go to Facebook. And the idea of keeping a Twitter window open to the website in order to click around and see things, it's just, you know, I, I like the keyboard shortcuts. There's lots of reasons. Anyway, so so what a mess. To restate <laughs> the feedback we got uh, and just say, what a mess. It's a mess. Um, I think that's enough. 
on on Twitter follow up for now. We have more Twitter coming later about news because as we correctly predicted, you the moment we talk about something uh, and and save that episode for a few days, then things start to happen. And we got do. we got a very nice piece of follow up. Um, from, we did from a listener, um, right? And- who, who who we will we, who will remain nameless? Yes, which is probably best in these kinds of scenarios. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they had something very nice to say. And apparently, they said that upgrade uh, got them through a difficult time, which is a, a really nice thing to see. I think uh, recently, I, I think I've been kind of saying this kinds of stuff on on upgrade. Uh, sorry, on analog. This is upgrade. Hello, Jason. Uh, Hello. I uh, have been getting a little bit jaded on certain parts of the internet uh, as of late. There are just some things that are grating on me a little, and getting this kind of stuff uh, is very, very nice to see, to try and understand you have an impact on somebody's life in more than just an entertainment value. Uh, but this person cited that uh, my British accent, my soothing British soothing accent. Soothing British accent. And Jason's vast knowledge and endless anecdotes, which are actually, <laughs> I didn't realize, but as soon as this person put it into context, the two things that I love most about you in regards to this show. <laughs> I like I, Endless anecdotes can be uh, read two ways, by the way. It can be read as a an endless stream of different anecdotes. It can also be read as anecdotes that go on forever. <laughs> I, I uh, assume the former uh, for the listener and myself, um, and and they said that those those things uh, helped them get through a tough time, and uh, we are very sorry that the person went through that tough time, um, and we're happy to have helped somehow. Yeah, it was very nice, and I I want to amplify your point, which is there there's a lot of um, I have moments where I'm opening my web browser or or, or like my email client or um, or my Twitter app, whichever one I'm using that day, and uh, I have a moment of like, well, let's see what. Um, nasty thing somebody has sent or said, right? Like, there's just like this feeling of like, well, let's wade in, and you almost expect just the the horrible negativity. Um, and uh, it's it's very nice. It's very easy to let negative things collect. Um, and it's nice when you see something that's just a a a, a good story about a difficult situation, but it's a it, it was a warm fuzzy uh, thing. So thank you to that listener. Yeah, I mean there there are. I get nice things said to me uh, every day, as I'm sure you do too. Oh, uh, yeah, but, absolutely. But there's something that comes from a nice thing that's really out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was that. And this was that. For sure. Uh, Michael wrote in about obituaries. <laughs> Ob- obituaries. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to a nice New York Times story that I think this is the one that I remember reading and couldn't come up with when we were talking about it, that is about about the pre-writing of stories, especially obituaries at the New York Times. Um so, so you can read more about it if you're interested in the subject of of people writing these stories way ahead of time and the kind of euphemisms they use. Like, you know, we're updating your biographical information for our database. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> writing your obituary. <laughs> um, the uh, the uh, other other thing related to this was uh, we got a nice um, a nice uh, thing from also from Michael, um, I believe that was about, uh, it was a good story and I didn't verify whether it's true, but I want it to be true. So I'm just going to go with it, which is um, the, the, this part is true. Um, the Mercury Mu- music prize uh, was given out. It was given out to um, uh, 
well, I'm not going to spoil the story. It was given out. A BBC news announcer was reading the script. Um, but when she got to the name of the winner of the Mercury Music Prize, instead of the actual name, it said uh, the XX, just sort of like as a placeholder. And so she sort of got flummoxed and apologized and said, well, they gave out the music prizes and moved on. Um and as Michael pointed out, had she been a little more clued up on her modern music, she would have realized that the prize winners that year were indeed indie pop band The XX. And but this was, is the standard BBC <laughs> news placeholder. Appar- apparently, because we were talking about TK and and uh, other and heads and HED and DEC, DEK and things like that. So apparently this was a, a, a conflict. I don't know if The XX is actually um, specifically named because of that phenomenon um or whether it was just a coincidence but that's a funny moment where you know if you yeah so if you want really good publicity for your band or whatever um in in the uh in the news media you might not want to call yourself like head tk because (laughs) that will be really confusing Hmm. uh we had some (laughs) feedback in regards to audition and logic yeah, yeah. So we talked we talked about this in the context of um, we had a I think an ask upgrade about uh, why logic and not audition. And um, I one of the things I mentioned was although I'm not opposed to the idea of um, of subscription services for software, uh, logic was two hundred dollars and Adobe Audition was twenty dollars a month. So very rapidly it would become much more expensive. Um, and that that was something, if you're starting from zero, that would be something to take into account. Now, somebody sent me a link, and again, I just was on vacation. Somebody sent me a link saying that you can still buy a standalone copy of Adobe Audition. I searched around and couldn't find out any information about that being true. If it is true, Adobe certainly doesn't want anybody to know about it. They want you to pay for Creative Cloud in order to get Audition. Um, we did get a nice note from uh, listener Brandon, who um, said that it, it, that discussion of GarageBand and and when you when do you search to lo- switch to Logic and take the hit in terms of the learning curve um, is and comparing Logic to the other sound products that you could go to audio editing. He says he, he's facing that with Aperture being dead. Um, and struggling to learn a new app that feels foreign and doesn't seem to offer anything significantly better than what he'd been in productive in for so long. I'd say that's absolutely true. Aperture is going to work for a while, so you could stay there. But this is the big difference, right? Like if Logic was announced as being at the end of its life, I would start having that moment of like, well, pretty soon I'm going to have to switch and learn something new. Once you're using dead software for your livelihood, it's a very difficult situation, and you have to um, you have to grapple with it as Brandon is doing now. Um, I will say. Uh, for people like Brandon who are used to using Aperture, I can't help with the learning curve. There are lots of great online training that can help with the learning curve. But um, what I can say is the Adobe Creative Cloud Photo Bundle is by far the best deal that Adobe offers for $10. And I'm, I'm paying for this. For $10 a month, you get Photoshop and Lightroom. And um, I don't even use Lightroom, <laughs> um, and I consider ten dollars a month worth it for fo- for the latest version of Photoshop. Um, but you also get Lightroom. It's the photography bundle, and it's ten dollars a month. It's actually a pretty great deal. Um, everything else they sell is much more expensive than that, including Audition. Um, all the other apps are sort of twenty dollars per. You can do I think it's forty or fifty dollars a month for everything in the in the suite. But this bundle is a great deal at ten dollars a month. So I will recommend that uh, as something to try. And uh, but yeah, learning curve after your software gets discontinued is awful, and I, I feel for you, Brandon. I can't believe that Photoshop is only $10 a month. I know, right? 
That doesn't seem right. I feel like they missed off a zero. <laughs> yes, they made a they made a mistake. I mean, it is a, a, an annuity. I mean, you are you are paying uh, one hundred and twenty dollars a year to Adobe for as long as you want to keep using Photoshop. But um, that one that one's worth it. If it was twenty dollars a month, I would probably um, consider going elsewhere. But for ten dollars a month, I didn't even hesitate. I said, "Is Photoshop worth one hundred and twenty dollars a year to me?" Given all the things I do with it, the answer was absolutely yes. And so. That was not. It was not a problem. I mean, I never use it. I mean, I I have a version of Pixelmator that I bought a year or two ago that does the job for me because I find Photoshop to be too confusing and too complex for what I need it for. Uh, and I very I probably open Pixelmator a couple of times a year. Ah, sure. Um, and I've got Acorn and I like it, but I have been using Photoshop since like I was in college, <laughs> and it just it. I I know all those tools. I know how it works, and so having it around, um, and I, what I discovered was that my um, Retina iMac, the the version of Photoshop that I have in a box, is uh, doesn't support Retina, and that was that moment where I thought, okay, well, I'm going to pay for it then. I'm going to pay for the new version because it'll actually use the Retina pixels on my display, and yeah, I haven't regretted it. You would be burning your eyes, uh, yes, trying to look at the older version with that beautiful display, indeed. Uh, last piece of this is actually the last piece of follow up slash the first piece of follow out this week. Um, next week is the one year anniversary of Relay FM, um, as Jason mentioned to me before the show, which is also episode fifty of Upgrade and episode one hundred of Clockwise, which is it's a big so, week, so beautiful. It is indeed a very big week, um, and we are me and Stephen are going to be doing a live streamed Q and A. Um, at 1.15 p.m. Eastern Time on August 18th, which is our uh, one-year anniversary. Uh, we would love your questions for that Q&A. Uh, you will be able to hashtag, use the hashtag, hashtag RelayQA. Um, and the, I'm putting a blog post in our show notes as well this week so you can so you can see that. Uh, we will be offering it uh, on demand, I guess, uh, in our B-Sides feed. Um, which I'll also put a link to in our show notes in case you've not seen it before. Um, in that B-Sides feed at the moment, you will find the special where Jason and Stephen spoke about space for mm. about an hour. Um, if you want to listen to that, you should, because it's fun. Uh, but we'll be taking some questions. Uh, we'd love it if you could contribute with any questions or uh, anything you'd like to know about Relay FM as we celebrate our one-year anniversary. Um, and that is one of a few little things we have planned for next week uh, to celebrate. Nice. So you can do that. Right. Should we take our first break for this week's episode? I think that's a great idea. Excellent. This week, this show is brought to you by our friends over at Go to Meeting from Citrix. Now, I want you to take a moment to, to paint yourself a, a, a little image in your mind. Allow me to paint a picture with these words. If you try and think about how much time uh, your company or your own business, you know, the company you're in or the business that you own, take how much time and, and money must be spent trying to hold meetings. I mean, you think about all the hassle that goes into that, like trying to get everybody in the same place at the same time, like you know, trying to synchronize all those calendars and making sure that that person can get from that meeting on time because this person's across town and all that kind of stuff. You've got to get all that into place and once you've done that you've got to set up the actual meeting room so you've got to find a meeting room available and once you've done that you've got to get the projector set up and you've got to get all the tech set up then you've got to be able to uh, get all the refreshments sorted once you've done all of this 
You've, you've gone through all of this hassle, all this aggravation. You can then hold your meeting. But what if I could tell you about a way where you don't need to do that? Like you could just say to somebody, click this link um, at this time and you'll be in the meeting. Like that would be fantastic, right? And this is what Citrix GoToMeeting can do. It is the smarter way to meet. GoToMeeting makes it easy to meet with your team whenever you need to, wherever you are. Because with GoToMeeting, you can meet at any computer, tablet, or smartphone even. You can use any of those devices. You don't need any to think about any travel expenses. You don't need to think about the hassle of travel or the time of travel. None of that. You can join uh, your team. Anybody in your team can join the meeting by just clicking a link. No sign-ups needed. No speed bumps are in the way. You can turn on your webcam as well and with HD quality video it's like being in the room of everyone you you can also share screens to present review and get feedback all in real time so with GoToMeeting you'll be able to see what everyone sees everyone will be able to see what you can see and you and your team can get on the same page and get going quickly you can stop wasting time with the crazy logistics of trying to arrange meetings go and sign up for GoToMeeting today you can try it for free for 30 days there is nothing to lose just go to gotomeeting.com gotomeeting.com and click the try it free button and you'll have yourself online with your first meeting up and running in just minutes once again that is gotomeeting.com for your free 30-day trial thank you so much to gotomeeting for supporting this show hey so you mentioned Twitter. We spoke yeah, about let's Twitter. Yeah, ta- let's talk about Twitter more. Because it ended <laughs> up, we were very, we were very right in our feeling uh, that this, that we were right to cover this um, last week. Oh man, we we hit we hit it at right at just the right time. As it turned out, we were worried our timing was off, but it turned out to be on. Because I wanted to talk about them because there was a lot of interesting stuff going on. But I was concerned, you know, as you will have heard from listening to Charles, I was concerned that by recording it in advance, some stuff might have happened. Some stuff has happened, but luckily not really too much in the time uh, that has been an issue for us. So um, we were talking about Jack and whether we thought Jack was the right move uh, for Right, Jack Dorsey, co-founder of Twitter, CEO of Square, former CEO of Twitter. Yes, just to set the set the table there, and he has expressed an interest in acting CEO of Twitter. Right, he's the interim acting CEO of Twitter. He is I CEO. Yes. Yeah, but somebody said somebody within Twi- within Twitter said, "Well, we don't consider this to be a position that can be filled by somebody who is doing other things." Which was this code for like Jack, you you got to quit Square if you want the job, and. Um, and Jack's response was something like, "Well, I'm not going to quit Square, and I do want the job. I think is basically how it went over." <laughs> yep. So, I, so the the question was going to be, "Well, what happens now?" And and we got some of that last week while I was in the car. So, tell me what happened last week. Uh, Chris Saka, who we also spoke about last week, right? We cited um, his post about about uh, about what Twitter should do next strategically with its product, and who has been people have have suggested uh, that. This post may have been the reason that um, got Dick Costello fired, basically, or was the reason Dick Costello stepped down, or whatever was the reason Twitter gave. Um, Saka issued a selection of tweets, um, the most important being uh, that he believes that Jack should be CEO. Uh, Adam Bain, uh, who is the current COO, I believe, should become president. And Mm. Ev... Williams should become uh, chairman of the board. 
uh, was his. Hmm. Yeah, that that's his his overall feeling. So you should have Jack as CEO, Adam Bain to president and COO, uh, and Ev should become executive chairman of the board. Uh, this was Saka's uh, overall feeling. There's many tweets. Uh, I've put a link to a TechCrunch article that, that has links to them in there. Uh, but basically, he thinks, like, um, for whatever reason, Saka believes that this is the right move. He thinks that Dorsey is the the one with the product vision um, to be able to go in and, and do that again. And uh, I just listened to the talk show uh, with John Gruber and his guest Matthew Panzerino, and they talk about this as well. It's also a good a good listen if you are interested in this topic, which I hope you are because you're listening to us right now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. If, if you're not interested in this topic, you should have forwarded to the next... Uh well, we don't have chapter markers yet, but uh, it, to the yet, yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you uh, should forward to the next bit about Google and not be here. So, if you are interested, then you should probably read that article. So, <laughs> when they- a little 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 table of contents, a little index happening in the middle of the show. There, a little <laughs> indexing, little. It's not a vertical, really. It's more like a meta feature of the podcast where i appear in a future in a, mike in a future beta what we'll do is there'll be a sound there'll be like a ding sound or a bing bong perhaps and then a, a german voice will appear because i just have decided it will be a german uh, man and he will say he will explain the structure of the rest of the show you are effectively the clippy of this podcast now you know that don't you you appear to be doing a podcast <laughs> can i help you with that you appear to be in your sec- in your first of two topics can I help you? Uh, so I think at this point, whether or not Jack is actually good for the role or the right person for the role, there is now a lot of public opinion swelling that he's the right choice. And right. Chris Sacker doing what he's done is now painting investor opinion. So, yep. which is part of his game all along, I think. Yep. Yes. What a, but, yes. What a great way. Of but putting it. I will say, I think I think Saka is is. Um, legitimately a believer in the power of Twitter and the potential of that company. And like we said on the last show, I really do believe that Jack Dorsey cares about Twitter and has some feelings about what Twitter could do better. And like I said, I don't know the personalities and I don't know the inside of how Twitter is working and how it's broken. So I can't say, I'm not going to be one of those people that says, well, he should totally get the job because, you know, reasons. Because uh, it's way more complicated than that. There may be somebody who's a much better choice, um, but what I would say is somebody who cares about Twitter needs to be in charge of Twitter. Somebody who is willing to make big changes and fix what has been broken and get this company that's product has been really complacent for too long uh, moving in some direction um, somewhere. And, you know, we might not all even like the direction it goes, but it needs to go somewhere because it just seems mired and has been mired for the last few years. And Jack Dorsey does seem to care about it. And and so, you know, I would rather have somebody like Jack Dorsey uh, than, you know, Dick Costolo. And, uh, but he might not be the best choice, but he's definitely a high profile choice as the co-founder and as being, you know, mooted for the job by people who probably know better than we do about the details. So, I think now that now this public opinion is swelling, I think uh, that Jack is the right person. I think that part of it is people just like the beauty of the story. Well, sure, it's that Steve Jobs story, yeah. right? Founder returns. He was kind of kind of kicked out. He's brought back in. 
you know, again, all of us on the outside, people who don't have inside knowledge of Jack, of Twitter, of the what you know what happened when Dick Costolo was there, uh, you know what's going on with the product. All of these product people left. That's the other thing that happened after we recorded that episode. Is that even we, we during, when we recorded it, I know at least one product person had left, but then it was reported that like three more product people at Twitter had had, had left that week. That was like uh, this um, exodus of people from Twitter. And uh, so, you know, something something needs to happen, but we don't know, unless you're one of the people who knows the inside, it's all just a guess. You know, it's, it's none of us really know um, unless you're on the inside. I think that just what is, I think, clear at the moment, to me anyway, is that whether, whether Dorsey is the right man to solve the problems, I think he is the right man to be there to, or the right person, I should say, uh, he's the right person now to be there to help do a public image reset uh, from Costolo's time. And, you know, we talk about Costolo in bad terms. Neither mm. of us really know uh, how much control he had. However, exactly, it was under his time that things went really bad. But... You know, the best we can do is just be like, well, he he may have been who was uh, put in place to be the person at the time. He may have never been the right person or the wrong person, and that may not have been his fault decision or anything like that. However, that all we know is what we can see, and all we could see was that the product became worse during the time that he was CEO. Yeah, yeah, and that that it that they seem to miss a lot of opportunities and kind of lose their way in terms of what they were doing, um, that they made some tough decisions early on that um, were unpopular but could have been mitigated by having results from those decisions. And a lot of those results never seemed to come. And uh, yeah, but we, we, right, we don't know. What we do know is the outcome, right? We know what Twitter has not done over the last few years. That, that much is clear. That you know, it's pretty clear that they're they've missed a lot of opportunities the last few years. So something else that happened really interestingly, I think, uh, yesterday as we record this uh, on, on Monday the it's Tuesday. Oh, it happened on Monday the tenth. <laughs> yeah, when we should have been recording, but yes. weren't. So Dorsey spent uh, eight hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars to buy thirty-one thousand shares in Twitter, mm-hmm. um, and he sent out a tweet. Which was had a, a picture of, or had a link to his SEC filing, and the tweet just said Invest, investing in Twitter's future. Mm-hmm. So he bought a massive chunk of stock. Now he already owns a massive chunk of stock anyway, yeah. and this is actually a small amount compared to the overall amount of stock that he owns already. Um, but this came at a time where over the last. Uh, he owns 22 million shares, and he bought another 31,000. So, you know, mm. not huge. Um, it's symbolic. But it, that's, that's exactly it. It was the symbol. Because over the last couple of weeks, uh, since the earnings call, Twitter's stock has just been tumbling. Um, and they are now below IPO level. Um, mm. I, think they, I think they IPO'd at 40 dollars a share something like that and now they're at like they're in the mid to high 20s region um at the moment 
And so this is kind of, there have been a lot of people talking this week, who's going to buy them? Uh, a lot of people have been pointing at Google, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but lots of people have been trying, have been eyeing up potential uh, companies to buy Twitter. So I think that what Dorsey is trying to show here is that he believes in the company and wants the company to remain. So he's putting his money where where his mouth is. Yeah, it, 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 that's the symbolism of it. Is that it, companies that are going that are falling apart, people are selling their shares so they can get they can cash out before it all falls apart and he's sending a signal like i'm investing in twitter's future it does feel like he's also sending a signal saying i want to be a part of twitter's future right oh 100 uh, percent. Yeah, yeah it's it's this is as much a pr move for jack as a ceo as it is him believing in it like i think you can hold those two things as exclusive but they are mutually exclusive. Like they are, these are things that he believes both of these, in my opinion. It is a PR move to try and show that he's the right visionary for the role, but also he is genuinely saying that he, he believes in it and wants it to stick around. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess we'll see what happens. Something something is happening at Twitter. Right. Change is happening at Twitter. It's happening right now. We, we've seen it. There may be jockeying for position. It may not be exactly what we expect. Um, we, but we know and with the with those departures, too, we know that there's a, a lot of change happening there. And I got to say, again, as an outsider, I think it's good because it's change, because what Twitter, Twitter has been doing has not been working. So change it up. You know, and hopefully they will make good decisions and they will change it in good ways. But they got they got to change it. Yeah, I I think that that this is the I I continue that I think that Dorsey's the right person because I think that they need a CEO that has a name to them. Um, promoting a another type like Costello is not known to the wider community. Uh, it's probably exactly. a bad move, especially when uh, now they need to be able to attract uh, talent to head up some of their C-level positions, I guess. Yeah, it's a major platform company, and, and, and the job of the CEO isn't just to be, uh, you know, isn't to be the strategist in some ways. The, the job is to build a team that can execute on the, the, the strategy and formulate the strategy. And, you know, that's a job, that's a big job, and... So I don't feel like you need somebody big because of PR reasons, because it needs to be recognizable and send a message to the shareholders, although that may be true, too. I think the big thing is you need uh, you need somebody who who know, who is of a stature in Silicon Valley that they are going to be able to build a team and recruit people and get a really good team in place and energize the people who are already there. And and uh, they, they need to know the landscape so that I think that's the most important thing is if you've got somebody who nobody ever heard of um, that that the danger there is that this is the captain of the ship and you need somebody like when yahoo hired marissa mayer right i mean the, the, you you want somebody that people know and uh, who's worked with lots of good people all over the industry um and that you know that's that's what you want in a in a job of a ceo of a company as important as twitter should we take a break i think that's a good idea this week's episode is also brought to you by Hover, the best way to buy and manage domain names. When I come to think about buying a domain name, Hover.com is the first and only place that I think 
to go to. When you have an idea for a project, naming it can be difficult because you want to be able to get a name that you want quickly. Once you think of something, once you think of a name for the project, you want to be able to get that domain name as fast as possible. You don't want to have to wade through a bunch of options and you just want to be able to check if the domain is available. If it is, get all the permutations of it that you want and get out. If it isn't, you want to know as quickly as possible so you can get back to the naming stage. Um, I don't want to be faced with a thousand of screens when I'm buying domain names, whether I'm trying to buy them quickly or not. I just don't want to have to deal with it. It's an, it is a like a a hostile environment in which to buy these types of things when you're, you know, you, you've selected what you want and you want to get to the checkout. Really, you want that to be a couple of clicks at most. You don't want to have to be like pushing things away left, right and center just to try and get to, to be able to give a company money. And Hover believes in this and they, they make sure that they're their whole process, the whole checkout process, their domain uh, management process, all of that is as simple as possible to try and keep what can be quite a confusing thing as easy as possible for you so you'll be happy as a customer because that's important to them. You just enter the phrase that you want when you go to hover.com, you enter the domain that you want and they'll show you what's available. They have all of the TLDs you'd expect. Their .com domains start at just $12.99 and all of their domains include who is privacy where available for free. So if a domain provides who is privacy, hover.com will give it to you. You can uncheck to say you don't want it if you don't want it, but they will check that box for you because why wouldn't you want your private information private? Hover have a no hold, no wait, no transfer telephone support policy for their customer support, which is really awesome. Uh, When you call Hover, you'll be talking to an actual human being. But if you prefer, you can contact them via email. They also have documentation and guides on their website as well, if that's the type of stuff that you like. They have their valet service where they'll switch domains for you no matter how many you have so you don't have to worry about any of the hassle of trying to switch from your current provider. They do volume discounts for bulk domain renewal. They have custom email addresses with storage and forwarding as well and just so much more. You can get yourself 10% off your first purchase at hover.com by using the code FOLLOWOUT, or one word, at checkout. So thank you so much to Hover.com for supporting this show. You can get 10% off your first purchase with the code FOLLOWOUT. Thank you so much to Hover for their support today. Thank you, Hover. Hooray. So Alphabet. Uh, This was one of the most surprising tech news stories I have ever seen, I think. Uh. Basically, okay, so people are saying Google renamed themselves to Alphabet yesterday, mm-hmm. which isn't technically Not what they did. No. Uh, they created New Google, which is run by a company called Alphabet, uh, Google. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to get real complicated real fast. Okay, yeah, I will refer to, from here on out, we will refer to it as Old Google and New Google. Okay. So... Old Google no longer exists. Now, Old Google was a company which owned all of the things that you know of as Google, search, apps, um, uh, owns Android, YouTube, Nest, all of those things. That company has gone away. What stands in its place is Alphabet. Alphabet owns the new Google, um, which is now going to be uh, run by new CEO Sundar Pichai, which we'll get to in a right. minute. Uh, Alphabet itself uh, is going to be run by CEO uh, Sergey Brin and Larry Page as president. 
Um, and right. Alphabet is a collection of companies, the largest of which is the new Google. So, for right. example, so this, is, this is a separation of sort of like Larry and Sergey's big playground, which is Google. And now what we've got is Larry and Sergey's big playground is Alphabet. And one of the things in the playground is Google. What a great way which, of putting it. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, we've always hear, heard about Larry and Sergey are like, oh, we've got big ideas and crazy things that we're going to do. And we're going to buy this and we're going to integrate that and we're going to invest in this. And then there was like the Google that is search engine and Android. And um, what this does that I really like is separate those. So, so they're not like independent of each other. The playground, Google's in the playground, but like we no longer have this concept where there's like there's Google and then there's like the googly part of Google. <laughs> Now we have Alphabet, and then Google is one of the things in Alphabet. Yep. So, for example, Sundar Pichai, who is the CEO of the new Google, will he will actually report into the CEO of Alphabet, which is bright. Right. Which is right. weird right. for a CEO who, who, to report what, to what someone. Is, well, I mean, CEOs report to the the board, right? Yeah, I so mean, in this yeah. case, they're 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 a, and they're actually my president of you know of back at idg you know reported to the ceo of the of the parent company this is a i mean that's how that's how it works these are like you know divisions these are wholly owned and operated companies within a portfolio and so that's the structure which is actually it's kind of nice right because now sundar is the you know is the ceo of google and needs to make the decisions about what google does and google is a very clearly like this is your territory you run this and then the big boss instead of having a board they may have a board but i I, you know basically the the they answer to larry and sergey which is that that that's good i think that's clear there is still some weirdness though in what is part of the new google (laughs) yeah so like some of the stuff they took out so they took out nest Mm -hmm. um which why now when you look back you can see why they didn't rename some of the companies they bought more recently. Yeah, well Nest, yeah, I feel like that was always their intent was not to subsume it into Google. And yep. that they wanted Nest and the Nest brand to continue and they wanted their home efforts to be around Nest. And there was always that confusion. I think we talked about it during during the Google I.O. keynote uh, st- uh, aftermath was this confusion about like the home networking uh, stuff that Google is putting forth that's going to be a part of Android and then like what the Nest uh, home networking program is and are they the same are they not the same why would they not be the same so that one that one makes a lot of sense right and and i think actually will be great for nest because then tony fidel you know tony fidel runs nest and he reports to larry and sergey he has nothing to do with sundar um and he can make his own way and he can start counteracting the complaints from people saying you know why would i want to buy uh home products from google and they're going to take all my information and feed them into google because now he can say nope that's not our business that's not why we're here we don't give any of that to google that's not our company and that's good that's like that's that and that may have been true before but it's clearer now that nest is nest and not google but then parts like the Google Ventures and Google Capital are now just Ventures and Capital. They're going to be part of Alphabet. Uh, X, Google X is now X Labs. Um, I right, think it which is the crazy, that that's the crazy uh, far out stuff, you know, robots and self-driving cars and yep. things like that. Um, and then Google Fiber is now just 
Alphabet Fiber or just Fiber? I, I think that's one of the questions is, are these going to be rebranded? Is Google Ventures going to become Alphabet Ventures or is it just going to be Google Ventures and it's you know not part of Google, it's Google Ventures and it's a different thing? I think there's some questions over that, time. That'd be madness if they did. <laughs> well, I, I think, yeah, I, I think it would be much better if it was Alphabet Ventures, Alphabet Capital, and we started thinking of Alphabet as the thing. But they, they uh, you know, Larry and Sergey have said, you know, that Alphabet is not necessarily a consumer-facing brand. Uh, if that's true, maybe... Google Ventures will come up with its own name, you know, that's not Google Ventures, that's some other, you know, indecipherable Silicon Valley venture capital company name. Uh, I don't know. That part, I don't know. Yeah. And uh, so... Have you ever had the Alphabet Fiber Fiber cereal? It's not very good. Never heard of it. Alphabet Fiber. I've had. Uh, it's not real. Alphabet- I just made Alphabet- it up. But, you know, it sounds like cereal. It's it's fiber. It's very high in it's high in fiber. It's bran, but shaped in the in the in the shape of letters. Alphabet fiber, or just alphabeti spaghetti. Okay, if it's whole grain, then it would be alphabet fiber spaghetti. So, um, YouTube and Android are remaining part of Google. This I don't understand. <sighs> well, YouTube I understand because YouTube is an advertising play. You know, it's it's all about the video advertising. And so uh, that makes sense to me that it's part of Google because and it's so tightly integrated now, even though they're trying to unwind it a little bit. In the end, it's about programmatic advertising. And what is Google but but advertising at this but point? Like, it's YouTube sur- has had its own CEO for a long time. That's like yeah. something that I find. So it's just very I actually weirdly more understand Android being a part of Google uh, than YouTube being part of Google, which is funny because well, I think you're the other way around. Some of some of this might be about the way that they're technically intertwined, and some of this may be about their feeling about the directions these businesses are going in. And you know, I don't know because again, not on the inside, but I look at this and think, you know, they may say, look. Google as a search engine text ad product, that's kind of going to fade away eventually. But, you know, it's going to move to video. And what's video? Well, it's YouTube and we've got YouTube and they're all part of the same thing and they're all part of the same infrastructure. And even though users see them as different products and they're actually, you know, they've, they've made that more separate. You don't need it. I think you don't need the Google login to post hateful comments on YouTube anymore. That's very that's true. coming. They're splitting those apart. Um, and it, 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 they may view that as being essentially the same business, that like this part of the business and this part of the business are different, but they're not that different. They really go together um, in a way. And Android is the same question. It's like, I look at that and think, well, Android is, a, I agree with you, kind of weird to have be part of Google. At the same time, though, why does Android exist? <laughs> All right. Why does it exist? It's free, right? I mean, they, they put huge amount of engineering resources in it, and they give it away. Why do they do that? It's because they want to capture a percentage of the market that they can use as part of Google's strategy for advertising. Because they don't want to be... They, they never wanted to live in a world where Apple dominated or Microsoft dominated mobile advertising because they could be locked out. And now they can't be locked out because they give this thing away, and then and they're integrated into it. Well, by that standard... Android absolutely is part of Google. And if you separated Android into Android Incorporated, uh, wouldn't that be weird to have this company that just created this thing that they gave away and was always operated at a massive loss because the whole goal was to make profits happen Mm -hmm. somewhere else? 
Um, so I, I think it fits. Yeah, I get. Also, I saw somebody on Twitter say that this is just a this is just a big tax thing. <laughs> this is this is all about like things like like taxes and and maybe saving on taxes and uh, also being able to kind of like send messages to investors and the public about how profitable the core part of Google is versus the the playground. Um, but I don't. I am not an, a tax attorney, a corporate tax attorney, so I don't know about that conspiracy. It doesn't. Theory. It doesn't seem right to me because it's all going to be owned by Alphabet in the same way that it was all owned by Google. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it may be structured differently. Who knows? But I love it from a clarity standpoint, though. I mean, I, I've said on this show many times and on other shows, and I've written about it. I, I have for a long time talked about the two Googles. Right? There's the Google. That is what we know as Google, what we think of as Google, which is search and Android and YouTube. Um, and then there's the what I just called earlier the playground. It's the stuff where um, Larry and Sergey are trying to imagine what the next big things are and use the money from the you know from search advertising to fund investment in these other crazy areas figuring that they may be able to control the future of the car or the future of robots or the future of you know biotech or whatever it is the bets that they're placing um and so there's this really down to business money making run by lawyers hard to hard to work with uh company that's called google and then there's the big ideas company and then you throw in acquisitions like nest and you're like okay i don't even know is that is that in the box is that out of the box what's that about and now I feel like this is much clearer <laughs> that there is this money, huge engine of money that is driven by advertising, which is Google. And then there's all the other stuff. And all the other stuff is the speculative stuff um, that is in the playground, is in Larry and Sergey's playground. And that includes um, Nest, which I think is a bet on you know smart home technology is essentially what that is. That is a bet about investing in the future of 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 something, just like the self driving cars are, just with a product. So it's a little closer to reality than something like the self driving cars are. So I like that. That this is this is them making clear that Google is not one thing, and that there are you know at least two and maybe many more parts of Google that have totally different purposes. So I like that about it too. Because that that's been true, <laughs> it's always been true. That and, and yet people got confused. They're like, "Why is a search engine building self-driving cars and investing in in robots and hiring all the robot engineers?" The answer is the search engine wasn't doing that. <laughs> that was Larry and Sergey who want to invest in robots and self-driving cars, and not the poor people working on the search engines and on Android who don't get to play with robots. They just have to work on their software. So now that's Sundar's part of the business he can worry about it there's one thing that i wonder about this that this decoupling of google from everything else makes me think that uh, alphabet could make more facebook-like acquisitions where they buy a company because they think it's interesting yeah or for whatever reason uh but then it doesn't have to like it can do a similar thing to google but it doesn't have to be rolled into google well Nest Nest is the model for this. Yep. Nest, I really believe that Google looked at Nest, that L- Larry and Sergey looked at Nest and said, 
I really like uh, what they're doing. Uh, Tony Fidel is really brilliant. Um, they could probably change the world if they weren't struggling as a startup and got a huge in- influx of cash. Why don't we just buy them and and give them some money and let them really blow people away with their technology? I think that's the story of them buying Nest. Uh, so they could do that again. And, and you're right. I think this gives Google the freedom to acquire things that are core to Google, and it gives Alphabet the freedom to acquire things that are not core to Google, but that are like good bets and and that go beyond the ventures thing, right? Because ventures, they could just you know invest in something, um, but this is like buying it just outright. You know, this is not a, this is not a good example. But if they said, "Oh, we get it now," the you know TiVo is really great. We're just going to buy TiVo. And there wouldn't be the question of, like, how does TiVo fit in with Google? The answer is, well, no, we just bought it because we want to do something. You know, we want it to do whatever TV things. Like I said, it's a bad example, but just to pick a, a company. Um, that could happen, right? That 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 kind of thing could happen. And it doesn't get all muddied in, what does that mean for Google? It's like, it's not, it doesn't mean anything for Google. If Google buys it, you'll know it's Google buying it. If Alphabet buys it, you'll know it's not Google buying it. So a lot of people are asking the question, could Alphabet buy Twitter now? <laughs> sure, um, they could. Sure. They sure. really could. I, it, it would not shock me if, if, if you saw Alphabet make some... You know, this happens a lot, where companies buy other companies because they don't want their competition to get them. Not because I mean Nest. I feel like in some ways that's what Nest was. Yeah, that's that what Google, I meant by the Facebook model as well. Like Facebook yeah. or Instagram or WhatsApp to protect Facebook. To protect Facebook, right? Yeah, yeah. Facebook wanted Instagram not because Facebook needed Instagram to be in Facebook, but because Instagram needed to not belong to their competitors. Yep, and also like, but the, the different one though is Oculus. Uh, Zuckerberg bought Oculus because he missed out on mobile. Like that was his reason. Like, was he bought Oculus because Facebook missed on mobile and they should have been ahead of mobile. So he bought what he thought was the next big thing. He bought the leader in that. So he bought Oculus, which is very smart. No, that's a great... Oculus is a great example of somebody's going to snap this up and we think it's big. And, you know, if anybody's going to own it, it's us. But in sometimes... I think smart business people look at acquisitions and realize that... The dream of taking some amazing product and integrating it into your product is a little bit um, false, and that really you've got two choices, which is you can swallow it whole and break it up into pieces and hopefully use the pieces, and that means the technology, the patents, the people, to build something good for your core business. Or you realize this thing works because of the way it's structured and we just want it to stay around and we can help it be better and we can integrate it a little bit. Like, I feel like th- those are more realistic acquisition um, scenarios and that the second one doesn't really happen unless you are a company with just money coming out your ears, which, you know, <laughs> Facebook, Google, Apple, those companies actually, they could just buy whatever. Uh, most companies like are, are much more tactical. And Apple actually behaves, I think, more like a small company that tactically buys things. It's rarer that they make a, a huge purchase. And we'll have to see how the Beats acquisition goes in the long term, right? I mean, this is one of those arguments is, in the end, did Apple get much out of Beats 
other than breaking it down, you know, breaking the the music service down to its constituent parts and trying to integrate it into iTunes. And that may turn out to be, uh, uh, you know, not much. Or it may turn out to be something good, but it may turn out to be nothing because it's it's hard to integrate those things. Um, but there's this whole scenario of like, let's just buy it and keep it over there. And then, you know, it'll be friendly to us because we own it. <laughs> yep. And if one but, of them wins, we've already, we got both. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you're hedging your bets. Instagram, Oculus is a good bet on the future. Instagram is a great hedge against your competition taking this thing that is great and, um, and using it to uh, compete with you. Um, that's a great example of that, where fo- Facebook's like, well, what, do, what is one of the things that is incredibly powerful for our service? It's photos. What's a danger? Well, Instagram is really great for photos, too. Well, if we buy Instagram and kill it, that doesn't solve anything. And if we buy Instagram and integrate it into Facebook, that doesn't really solve anything. But we could just buy Instagram and make the links with Facebook really good and let Instagram be great on its own. And that's Alphabet is structured like that. It's totally structured like that. So could they buy Twitter? If they think that that um, Twitter is a, a good idea that just needs to be uh, under new management and, and have more cash to fulfill their vision, then maybe so. Uh, it's a public company, so it gets complicated. Um, I worry that the Twitter is just too far down the road. Like it's, 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 there's been too much water under the bridge for, for Twitter to be something that could get sucked in. Um, I think Twitter would have to be laid pretty low. I think that like confidence in it in the stock market would have to decrease and for it to be something where, where somebody would want to pick it up and say, well, we think we can rehab this and there's good stuff here. And Twitter doesn't seem to be in that place right now. So Alphabet, it's crazy. It is crazy. I think it's very exciting, though. Ostamir in the chat room said, uh, I'm still waiting to see if the next acquisition will pay off for Apple. That's a great example of uh, something that's just getting broken down and absorbed. And in the end, you know, Apple is as much next. Apple's technologies are like basically next technologies more than their Apple technologies from that from that period anyway. But um but I'm with you. I, Alphabet, I think it's a great idea. Um, and we'll see how they put it into practice. But I just, I like the clarity of it. I like that, I mean, look, Google conspiracy theories will always exist. <laughs> but it feels like there's some clarity of communication. Like, this is what Google is now. And this is what Google is not now. And and so when you hear a story about the crazy self-driving cars or investing in robots or, in, you know, building an, an army of drones or whatever... Um, to have that not be Google, I think it's good. I think it's good to be clear that that's not Google. That is Larry and Sergey building drones in to you know as part of their private army. Yeah, and and I genuinely believe that they will want to be as not involved in Google as possible. Like, just so boring. Go away. Yeah. I want to go to the moon. Like, and I I think that's where they are. Just give me money. I think that's kind of it, right? With Google, it's like, look, you, you, we built a machine accidentally at Stanford. We built a machine that prints money. Keep writing the checks, folks. You know, Sundar, keep it going. We'll check in. Love, love what you're doing. Love the product. Don't get me wrong. Love, love the product, but just keep writing the checks so that we can go play over here in this stuff and change the future. You're, you're not about the future, except in your little area. You're about making us money. Um, it will be interesting to see how that goes over with people who work at Google. That there's that you know that that um, Google is no longer this entity that is you know anything can happen. It's you know Google new Google is 
we're about this. Um, maybe that's good. That's a focusing thing, but it does sort of change things. And I do think that the attitude is very much like, just keep giving us money so that we can invest in more self-driving cars. And uh, I love me some Sundar Pichai. I think he's awesome. Yeah, I think he's a smart guy. And I think, uh, you know, having that gives some clarity too, doesn't it? It's like all the stuff here is you. That's it. Like that's you. It's you. Mm-hmm. Talk to us. We're your bosses up here. But that is your business. Not Android. Not Google Plus. Not not YouTube. All of it. Just all of it. That's If it's in Google, it's yours. Make it good. Uh, that's great. And 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 send the checks, <laughs> and because we got to buy some new self driving cars. Doesn't hurt to have a non white guy as a CEO of one of the big three tech companies well, as well. I feel I feel like well, yeah, one, one more, right? Because we already have such an Adela. Of course we do. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, I, I, in fact, for probably a conversation for a, a, another time, but uh, I'm sure some tech magazine or even general interest magazine or website you know probably like a, a, a time magazine cover that everybody goes time magazine still being published but but it will be somebody will do a big feature or takeout or what does it all mean thing about this being um another chapter in the rise of uh, of non-white workers especially asian workers in silicon valley to even more positions of prominence um and uh, you know sundar pichai is another example of that sachin nadella is an example of that and i you know that has been the workforce has been composed in the silicon valley workforce has been um if there's diversity from the white people in it, it's there are lots of Asian people who from from all over Asia, from all the way from India to to, to China and Japan, um, in in the valley. But now we are seeing them increasingly in these prominent positions, um, and it's just interesting that it's like it maybe it took time for that to all just kind of like keep rolling. But uh, I think it's great to see and. Um, and so now we have Sundar in charge of Google. I think, I think it's, uh, yeah, he's a smart guy. He's, he's a sharp guy. And I, I think he will benefit from having clarity over his domain now. Yep. No doubt. Tim, like, it's, it's Tim awesome. Cook sent him a tweet. Did you see the tweet? I did see the tweet. Congratulations on your promotion. Oh, and then he was like, out, thanks. Thanks, thanks man. I, you know, I, there is this, this part of me that does really love that, like, uh, Microsoft is run by a guy of Indian descent. Uh, actually, yeah, uh, both Nadella and Pachai were both born in India. So then you have uh-huh. the leader of Google was born in India, and then the leader of Apple is openly homosexual. I think it's fantastic. Yep. I love that. I just think that is such a great thing that even five years ago we may have found to be strange, right? Well, to hear, Silicon like, Silicon really? Valley. That's Silicon awesome. Valley diversity is problematic in a lot of ways, a oh, lot yeah. of ways. Yep. But at least we can point to a major gay executive, a couple major Indian executives. Um, if you if you want to throw in Yahoo, you've got a major woman executive, and and HP has had a, a woman CEO, and uh, there's some some of that some of that's going on. You know, yeah. some of that's going on. And you're right. Five years ago, well. <laughs> Five years ago, it was Eric Schmidt and Steve Ballmer and Steve Jobs, right? In those parts, in those roles. Yeah. 
and like you know we're saying about we know the diversity isn't great like we know that um you know that is a thing that i think 2015 will be remembered for is people realizing a lot of this stuff like actually truly realizing it but one of the ways it gets better is from the top and also the um I know it will be very easy to say, well, this is going to be business as, as usual as Google, because in the end, it's still, you know, it's Sundar and it's still Larry and Sergey running the running the show from above. I don't know. This is this is different than Tim Cook taking over at Apple, and this is different than Satya Nadella taking over at Microsoft. But both of those gentlemen showed that they were not afraid to make change in how their company had done things over the long term. Yep. Um, and I think their companies have benefited from it. And um, it will be interesting to see what happens at Google, but I would I would say it's more likely than not that Sundar will be able to do this. This will give him he's been invested in power with this title and he's been given clarity about what his business is. And I think you'll see Google maybe make moves that they would not have made before when they were this amorphous mass of things and who's you know, who's in charge of what division. I think I think we may see a much, much more clarity in Google. And and coming from letting Sundar make some make some decisions about what they're going to do and what they're going to focus on that were harder to make before when it was this bigger thing and kind of unwieldy. Should we do some Ask Upgrade? We should. Jason, who is bringing uh, Ask Upgrade to the people this week? Ask Upgrade is being brought to the people by stamps.com. Com. You know, uh, we've talked about them before. If you are uh, running your own business, uh, mailing and shipping can be a huge pain. It can feel like a no-win situation. I have told you many times before of my dislike in going to my local post office. It's, you know, I don't want to say terrible things about the Mill Valley post office, but it's, you know, it's there's long, there's often long lines and it's slow and I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. It takes time. Um, I find it unpleasant and I don't I know I don't need to go there. Um, now, if you were a small business, you could lease a postage meter and uh, do it that way for all of your shipping. But those can be very expensive. They uh, usually require multi-year commitments. There are hidden fees, but there is a better way. And that is stamps.com. With stamps.com, you buy and print official US postage for any letter or package. You do it right on your desk using your own computer and your own printer. And stamps.com is way easier to use than a postage meter and costs just a fraction of what a postage meter does. You can save up to 80% with stamps.com compared to a postage meter, and you will avoid those time-consuming lines at the post office. And I can walk to my post office. If you have to drive to the post office, it can be even more time that you save. Stamps.com costs $15.99 a month. That's it. There's no long-term multi-year commitment like a postage meter. There's no markup on postage. In fact, you can even get special postage discounts with Stamps.com, so it's really a no-brainer. I've been using Stamps.com. I've got a really cool USB scale that lets me weigh things. I can put things in boxes, print out my postage, tape things up, put it outside, or give it to my letter carrier. They take it away. And that's it. I don't go to the post office. I can ship everything right from here. And Stamps.com has a special offer for you right now. You can use our promo code, which is the name of this show, Upgrade, for a special offer. You get a no-risk trial, and there's a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Upgrade. That's Stamps.com. Click on the microphone. Enter Upgrade. Thank you so much to Stamps.com for supporting this show and all of Relay FM, and most particularly bringing hashtag AskUpgrade to the people. 
to the people. Power, power to the people. To the people. <laughs> so, uh, talking about those powerful people, uh, first off, Andrew would like to know, uh, any thoughts, Jason, having been independent for about a year, how is the outlook? Um, are your business and per- personal economics sustainable at their current uh, rate? Well, I, I think I want to talk about this more in mid-September when um, when it's been a year. But the short version is um, I'm having a good time. Uh, the economics seem to be fine. Um, it is not quite the mix economically than I that I expected. I have some stuff that is less money than I thought and other stuff that's more money than I thought. Um, not commuting is great. And uh, doing this show and other podcast stuff has been a great addition. I really enjoy having part of my life be doing podcasts, um, not just for fun, but actually as part of my job. Um, and so, you know, that's 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 my thought about it. What about you, Mike? Independent for for about a year next week. <laughs> well, actually, no, no. It's it, we we actually. I think I quit my job after you. Well, you did, but you started Relay before. So, okay, well, yeah. you know, how, how, how are quick, super quick status report on you? How's it? How's how's your outlook? Uh, things are really good. I mean, I make a lot more money just in general, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and you know, if the money is one of the things, then that is a, a big thing for me. But I am happy. I mean, the things that I am unhappy about are like just not issues. Really, and and right. most, any of the things that I tend to be unhappy about in my life tend not to be work now, which is you know that's I think that's rare for most people and definitely rare for me having looked over the last five years of my life. Uh, I am very happy. My main problem is just trying to balance my time, and I've been making yep. some steps along that road recently. But I've got some other things coming up that are going to take that away again. So I'm just trying to balance things out a bit better to try and better understand where my time is going, where my money is coming from, and just trying yeah. to to build uh, not a better work-life balance per se, but a better balance in my work. Um, yeah. I, I'm having the exact same issues now, which is now I've reached the point where I have to make some decisions about what do I spend my time working on, because I'm fortunate in that I have more potential work than I can that than I can do. So I need to choose. I need to make smart decisions about what I do and what I say no to, where I choose to put my time, and then how I structure my time. And that's all going on. So that's a whole other level beyond the basic level, which is, you know, oh. Oh God! Is this going to work? Am I not going to have any money? Am I, you know, am I going to have to uh, start applying for jobs anywhere because I just, you know, I can't pay my mortgage payment? That's not been the case, but um, but that leads to that other level, which is how do I structure this? How do I make these decisions? You know, what do I spend my time on? What do I not spend my time on? Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, next up, we have a question from John, and this is a Twitter-based question. Uh, John asks, if Twitter turned off its feed to the third-party client, so it turned off the API, um, uh, 100% as of the 1st of January 2016, do you think that this would be a catalyst for people to leave? I think no. Um, yeah. We've I already seen uh, attempts. Like, when App.net came about, it was because um, Twitter was becoming extremely hostile mm-hmm. and was becoming even more so. 
And we all tried it, we all used it, and we all went back to Twitter even though nothing changed. So I believe people would just get used to the official clients and would complain and uh, moan as much as possible until Twitter actually made some changes that others would want to see. But I just don't see it happening uh, quite simply because the reasons that other services like app.net didn't stick is because it's not just us anymore. And I think for most of the the tech nerds that are on Twitter, they probably follow a bunch of people in their lives or people that they admire or respect that wouldn't move because they already use the first-party clients. So it's just not a problem. And I know I don't want to be checking two services. So I think I think that the only way that people switch away is if it dies, completely dies. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I... I... I find great value in third-party clients, and I use a third-party client on iOS, but I agree with you that realistically, pretty much everybody would just switch. And if somebody says, well, no, I wouldn't, I would just stop. It's like, all right, well, I know that especially uh, some class of of tech nerds who've got a third-party client that they really rely on would get really angry and they would leave. And some of them might never come back, but others would. Um, For me, you know, the thing that would kill it for me and make it very hard for me to use Twitter is if they... Um, if they killed like the Mac client, if they just killed it and said, just use the website, <laughs> that would make it very hard for me. Um, although I would just, you know, again, I would just go on using, using iOS, I suppose at that point. Um, but I, I don't think, it, I don't think that's going to kill Twitter. There's, there's, we are like you liken this to, um, or you alluded to the idea that we would just kind of go to the official client and complain. Sometimes I wonder Probably not, but I wonder sometimes if the nerdiest people with the most attention to detail and the most technology knowledge, if they were using the official Twitter clients, would Twitter feel more pressure and get more feedback to make their products better? Probably not, but I, I do think, think they would. that... I, I do think would. that the, there's a whole class of users who would be really persnickety and finicky and they're power users and they really want Twitter to be better and they're using third-party clients. And I... And... If they were forced into the app, I do wonder if perhaps Twitter would be like, oh, wow, people are really complaining about this feature. And, and now people are just like, ah, forget it. I'll just use this other app that does it. Um, but this comes back to what we were talking about last time as well, which is pick something, Twitter. I, I feel like the, the current situation with the third parties, with these tokens and all of that, it's an untenable. It, it, it feels like a transitional thing. Um, and yet it was done by a group that is no longer basically running Twitter. So I feel like Twitter needs to decide something. Are you a service that has third party clients that offer alternatives? If you are, give them access to in the API to all of your features. If in, as we said, in exchange for showing your ads or whatever you have to do, whatever you have to do, if you're not, then maybe you should just say, we're going to close the door because we're in this really weird situation where as nice as Twitterific is, as much as people love Tweetbot, they have limited um, futures because of the token thing and limited features because there are all these Twitter features that do not work on third party clients because they're not in the API. So which is it, Twitter? I feel like that is the most important thing because right now we're in this weird limbo state. So I don't want them to turn off the feed to third-party clients. I would actually like them to go the other direction and say, you know what? Third-party clients, 
help us as a service. Uh, go ahead and make them and make them good. And as long as you follow our rules, but if they're not going to do that, I kind of feel like they do. They should just go the other direction because because the limbo state is not useful for anyone. Yep, hundred percent. So uh, Frank asked, "How do you recommend podcasters? Uh, how long do you recommend podcasters keep session files like Logic files or GarageBand files after releasing? How do you handle this?" <laughs> We're going to get some really different answers. So how do you handle this, Mike? Uh, I keep them for a time period until my hard disk starts to fill up, and then <laughs> I go in and delete the oldest few months. Mm-hmm. Because right. for me, uh, so many of my shows are topical. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they just don't need anything done to them after a you certain keep, period of time. I, I would imagine you'd keep them behind the app forever. Maybe I should do that. No, I, I think you I actually have them saved on a different part of okay. my system, so that yeah. I have all of the others go into just a uh, like a, just a folder I call podcast scratches, and uh-huh. it just lives there. Yeah, I feel like if it's something that could live um, longer, I think I talked about this before uh, that you should keep them around. I keep everything because I've got this Drobo that's got a billion terabytes in it, and so it's a. Uh, you know, I've got the space for them, so I save them all. Um, I would imagine that eventually I will start deleting old, you know, old clockwises and old uh, the, the episodes of Upgrade that I've edited are less. Um, it's less likely I'm ever going to need to go back to the masters for any of those. You know, even if you do a best of, um, you can pull from the, the MP3 file and it sounds fine. And and you know, I. And I don't honestly don't anticipate that I would do that very much for incomparable because those things last and I'm always pulling things out for a, for the end of year recap shows and things like that. I keep those around and that allows me to do things like I generated our Star Wars, you know, episode two and episode three um, episodes. I, I, re, I generated new versions of them, you know, a few months after we posted them with, uh, you know, that, like as a special version and Total Party Kill I did like an audiobook version of one of our seasons and I was able to do all of that because I kept the masters around but um, you know so so somewhere between until your hard drive I mean really it's until your hard drive fills up I think is a good answer but it's more important if it's something that you might actually uh, need access to later um, and some stuff is timeless and some stuff is 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 timely like i would throw away all my old clockwises tomorrow if i needed to but i'm not going to throw away the incomparable radio theater because i still go back i actually will still open up radio theater things i was doing this the other day because i already have like the intro music for a certain recurring thing and i can just copy it out of logic and paste it into a new project and i get all of the volume and all of the tracks and they're all in the right sequence um so it's great to have that kind of stuff around but for timely stuff it's a lot less important and uh, Chalakan asks finally today, do you think Apple will sell curated watch faces on the App Store? This is a really good one. I'm curious about what, what you think. Eventually, yes, they will. Will they do it anytime soon? I don't think so. Maybe version 3 or 4. Yeah, right now, watch faces for Apple Watch feel like... Um, 
they're like, you know, the apps that are on your Mac or on your iPhone that only update when the OS updates. <laughs> That's what the watch faces are. It's like they're in the OS. They're part of the OS. If they want to add new watch faces, they will add them in the OS. I do think that at some point, yeah, they will have to. But I, I, don't, I don't think it'll it'll be soon. Um, certainly, I mean, watchOS 2, we know what's in it, and that's, you know, watch faces built by third parties are not one of the things that's in it. So I think it's inevitable. I think there'll be an approval process. Um, but I think it's more likely that we'll see kind of like new watch faces show up from Apple over time than, you know, with, with software updates. Um, it's going to be a long time before we, we see more of that in the, in the, uh, like in an app store kind of model. So I yeah. agree with you, Mike. I mean, we're getting some with watchOS 2, but not nearly enough. There should no. be a couple more, like what they're doing, just a couple of photo faces, and you can add yeah, a photo well, face of your own. Right now, the strategy is, look, if you want to customize these these faces with um, with complications, we'll let you do that. That's that's where you the, the developers get in. Um, and I think that's, I think it's fine. Honestly. Um, I think it's fine. I would like to see more faces on more variety of faces from Apple. And I hope that comes. Um, but I can understand them being really cautious with such a new platform about something as key as the watch face. I get it. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. I mean, sure. Would I like to see some of my favorite UI designers create great looking, uh, user interfaces yeah. for the watch face? Sure. Do I need it? No, because in all honesty, like the, the, the utility face that I use, uh, is really great looking and I change the color on it every time I change my watch band and it makes me happy. Like that's all I really need. I don't need more than that, to be honest. Right, so that's about it for this week. Um, if you would like to find our show notes, you can go ahead and visit relay.fm slash upgrade slash 49. If you want to find Jason online, he is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter, and he writes over at sixcolors.com and hosts many other great podcasts on theincomparable.com and, of course, is the host of Clockwise on Relay FM as well. Um, I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, and I host a whole host of other shows uh, at Relay FM like... Um, I am on Connected, and uh, I'm also on Analog, Cortex, Virtual, Inquisitive. Probably so missing, many. Probably missing one or two. I've definitely done that. I've definitely missed some, but hey-ho. That's how it goes. Oh, with the pen addict. There you go. No, never mind. I'm just going to move on from here. Uh, thanks again to our sponsor this week. Our sponsors this week, Stamps.com, Hover, and GoToMeeting. If you enjoy the show, please go and support them. Um, and we'll be back next week. Um, until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Jason Snell. Oh, look at that. Please drag. <laughs> <laughs>